Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Spirituality of Magic podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Salazar, and I'm here with... Hey, everyone, it's Rambo. Excellent. Um, today, we're going to be dis- discussing or comparing the Bhagavad Gita as it is by uh, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and uh, the King James Holy Bible. We're going to be comparing these two sources. Um, the Bhagavad Gita as it is, there's multiple versions of it, by the way, but this one is by Swami Prabhupada. Um, we're going to be we're going to be comparing these two these two scriptures on the nature of sin and the nature of God. We're going to be those are going to be our topics for our comparison between these two sources. Once again, the nature of sin and the nature of God. So before we do that, um, let's go ahead and start off with a prayer to Saint Expedites, which I work with quite a bit in my magical practices, and uh, we're going to ask him for uh, help in understanding um, the relationship and trying to understand the nature of sin and the nature of God. Um, you might not understand it as sin if you're a Hindu. Uh, like myself, I usually think of it as desire. But um, let's go ahead and start with this, uh, this prayer for St. Expedite that I'm reading off of a card here. Um, May the intercession of the glorious martyr, St. Expedite, recommend us, O my God, to thy goodness, in order that his protection may obtain for us what our own merits are powerless to do. Amen. We supplicate thee, Lord, to inspire by thy grace all our thoughts and actions, that thou, being their principal, we may, by the intercession of St. Expedite, be conducted with courage, fidelity, and promptitude at the time proper and favorable, and come to a good and happy end, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. St. Expedite, honored by the gratitude of those who have invoked thee at the last hour, and for pressing cases, we pray thee to obtain from the all-powerful goodness of God by the intercession of Mary Immaculate today an understanding in this conversation. The grace we may solicit with all submission to the divine will. Amen. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, maybe we should just talk, maybe just to say some basic ideas about what we were talking about. So we were talking about the nature of sin and... Um, and the devil having, for some reason, in Christianity, agency on this earth and will being able to communicate with man. Um, we were talking about that earlier. What, where, where did that kind of lead us? Like, it led us to more, to more questions and answers, didn't it? Yeah, it was like we were the nature of sin. And then um, I think we were discussing, like, how Satan, how he has, okay, yeah, he has access, right? Privilege. Mm-hmm. So, like in the book of Job, we were talking about how, how the story is about God allowing Satan to take away Job's powers, mm-hmm. right? Well, well, God is the one that. Well, Satan basically said, "I bet." <laughs> he basically said that I bet that you know Job won't be loyal to you or still have faith if you kill his whole family, and then and then God kind of did that. Um, seemingly, it wasn't necessarily a bet, but to. To make to make a point, not only to, not only to Satan, but perhaps um, to human beings in general, that if you are, if you are loyal and still have faith, even after something terrible like your family being taken away, that um, you will achieve uh, the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But it was all about not disrespecting God. Yeah. Right. So is Job, is Job didn't he didn't disrespect God? Yeah, and then well, Satan thought that he that he would that if he God would. took away everything his his family. Um, 
yeah, it's weird because I, I I turned to that story in the in the in the King James Bible, um, right after we were talking about the coronavirus, and then it's few. And it, if I remember correctly, it seems like his family was taken by plague. I don't think there was another source or some kind of sickness. I don't think that it was a source of like people killing them. Um, does that sound right? I don't remember the details. Uh, yeah. But his family died, but it was restored. Right, everything his land was. Was restored. his family restored? His family re- was restored. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because you had. I mean, how, me... how old do you think Job was? He was hundreds of years. So old? Yeah. I don't think he. I think that you're talking about somebody before Job. No, Job. He he. I'm not sure exactly how long he lived, but according to the Bible, it was more than. Today. Well, I mean, like we see a lot of people in the Bible. I think Ezekiel is one of them. Yeah. But we see them living like hundreds of years, which, yeah. uh, I mean, how believable is that? I'm not sure. But um, we do see a lot of people living for I think uh, even long... after Noah, um, his... his uh, people live for longer? Yeah, they, well, after that, his legacy, right? And mm-hmm. I, think, I think that the generations after, they still lived hundreds of years. I forgot what point. That they stopped living that people long. Just had I think. I think lives. that over time. I think that it says that over time people had smaller and smaller lifespans, which um, I'm inclined to believe, but not in a six thousand year period. For me, in order to believe that, it'd have to be at a very high point of consciousness. And if 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 cycles are are indeed cyclical, then it'd have to be way before that, many thousands, if even like maybe even uh, millions of years before. At any rate, we're getting kind of off topic, but uh, let's go ahead and go to let's go ahead and go to what we're gonna read from uh, the Holy Bible here. Now, this is um, this is gonna be from Luke, um, Luke four, uh, chapter four. That is all right. So uh, we kind of enter in Jesus and the devil conversing, and uh, we're gonna start on chapter four, even though that there is. A little bit before that, I believe. Anyway, um, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days, he did not eat; he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is, del- is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. So in this, we kind of see, pausing here for a second, in this we kind of see the power um, that the devil, that God still allows the devil to have on earth, uh, which is uh, because he's saying that he, he can give these cities, the, the, uh, these kingdoms of the world to Jesus if he just, um, I think, renounces God and follows him. Um, like, how do, we, how do we feel about that? Because... So this is a really unique situation in a Bible that Jesus, being God in in in, uh, in man, uh, in the form of a man, is tempted by Satan, uh, and and it's just it's just amazing to goes it goes to show like how actually smart, you know how smart Jesus was, and his reply was, uh, 
I'm not going to worship you because uh, you can't live on bread alone. You, only by the word of God, which basically mm. what he was saying to Satan was basically like, um, I already, it's already mine to like the, everything that you're offering, it's already mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that ties into the word of God and the word being kind of like how it's, you know, written in black fire. Uh, if you've ever like looked into the Torah, it talks about about how the word of God in Torah is mm-hmm. like white fire upon black. It's, it's just really interesting how significant the word is and then the response that Jesus said to Satan in the desert. Yeah, so I guess we'll pick up, uh, we'll kind of pick up a little bit before we left. Uh, and the devil taking him up into a high, a high mountain showed upon, showed unto him the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said unto thee, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any of the time thou dash thy foot against a stone, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone, a stone. And Jesus answered, said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So, okay, okay, so we're talking about 40 days, Jesus did not eat. And then the devil departing for a season. Um, it feels like these 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 lengths of time are similar. Um, I don't really know why. I think that so. What I heard, what Paramahansa Yokananda said was that, you know, the the Israelites did not. They spent. They did not spend forty years just trying to find a home in the desert. That was more. It took forty years for them to solidify their practice and their faith and to become the people of God. It feels like. It feels like 30 and 40 are a a month, you know, a a period of time that one has to devote thyself to whatever path to cleanse oneself of what one was before or the desires of this world. It seems like a consistent period. And um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say on that? In regards to the time. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, a season is mentioned here and then those 40 years, which is well, it seems like the numbers 30, around 30 and 40 are significant throughout the Bible. I just don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like a period of time, you know, I, I think a, a month or just over a month, that one has to completely dedicate themselves in order to in order to be founded truly upon a path. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I get from it, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure about this verse. I'm not really sure about the verse. Um... So I mean, when he says he de- departed from him for a season, that could mean a lifetime. Who but, departed? Well, Saint departed. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. For a season. Yeah, that, and that's what we were saying earlier. Is like, how does Satan have the this counsel? Um, 
the counsel that he has, like with the relationship that he has with God, even though that he was defeated in heaven. He still, he still I, has free like, reign around here. It's like God's a professional. It's like, well, I'm not just going to destroy you for it, but, I, but I'm going to give you what you wanted, which was uh, material material. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that we, you know, we're getting into the, the obvious topic of the reason God allowed Satan to exist is for freedom of choice. Like to give another alternative to God to to test people's faith, I think is what the Bible implies most of the time. It, it says in the Bible too about God dis- destroying, like um, Gomorrah, Sodom. Just certain, I can't remember exactly certain verses. I remember about the nature of. Okay, so we're talking about the nature of God and that He does in in the Old Testament. You find Him like He does not only like the cities, but it talks about like creation, like. He wasn't happy with the first creation, so he destroyed it. And something, and so he created Earth. But when he, when well, I mean, he, when we think about Noah, he wasn't satisfied with the face of the Earth. What man has done with it? So right, Noah right. created the Ark, right? And and then everything else was destroyed. If we take that at literal face value, yeah, I mean, I would say that that at that point in time, that's God became more compassionate, right? Which is after he destroyed everything, or <laughs> I mean, to flood Probably. the earth is a it's like a major thing, like to destroy your own creation. Well, like and human beings, like except for what who was on Noah's ark. Yeah. I mean, given the given, okay, um, let's just say that they were all corrupt and evil. That's what the Bible gets at, but it doesn't really specify how everyone was corrupt. You, you see what but, I'm saying? Is like how come he destroys, uh, like okay, he how come he did destroy Satan, but he destroys. Man, man, almost completely. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a really good question. And uh, so, like, if it sounds like God was gave us a choice, but was kind of, like, not happy with the choice that we that we made, so he decided to destroy. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, you can make the bad choice, but you're going to reap the consequences is what I'm getting out of this, which consequences are, like, ultimate. Um, so I think we should move on here. Um, so, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame, a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Lazarus, or Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for a read, or stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon thee, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. 19. To preach the acceptable year, to, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 20. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on on him. So I'm I'm getting the sensation that Jesus can't come in, came in, and then gave his interpretation that was completely different than what they had heard before, and they were kind of in awe of it. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, that it feels it definitely feels like that to me. Kind of like how preachers and priests now they'll give their interpretation, their applications to modern days from the Bible, it feels like that was a major preaching moment uh, for Christ, kind of like the first preacher, if you will, and, and for Christianity. Does that, does that make sense? 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. At 21, and he began to say unto them, this day is, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this pro- proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, to also hear in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, where the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the lands. So they didn't experience happiness or fulfillment for that time because there's so much uh, famine. Okay, so, but unto none of them was Elias sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elysius, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman and the Syrian, and all they in the synagogue when they heard these sayings, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Read just a little bit more here. And he lifted up his ears, on his disciples, and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Referring to the people that even though they were they were poor in this world, they would not be poor in the afterlife. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, he he, he, re- he uh, makes a lot of uh, references to, to that. And um, I'm trying to remember the story about the, the man that confessed to Christ, to Jesus, that he followed all the laws... Mm-hmm. And then, but he was saddened because the reply, Jesus replied to him, uh, he asked, what, what does it take to inherit the kingdom to, uh, eternal life? What, it's not, it's not about do, it's not necessarily about doing good, but believing. Was that the, yeah, this was the rich, this was the rich man that followed all the laws. He says, God, I have followed, he said, Jesus, I have followed all the laws of the, you know, I guess the, the old Testament. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I have followed all the laws, but what does, it, what does it take to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him to give everything to the poor and follow, follow me. So he left sad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like when he says give everything to the poor, he means like, yeah, just get rid of all that material. You don't need it. Um, if you hold on to it, then this world will hold on to you and drag you down. And you, will not, you will not achieve the kingdom. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um. All right, so let's uh, let's continue for a little bit more. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye um, when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall approach you, reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for beyond, behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. 
Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smileth, uh, smiteth thee on the one cheek, Offer another, uh, also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, and ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have thee? Have they, have ye, for sinners also love those that love them, and if ye do good to them, which do good to you, and thank, and think, and a thank have ye, for sinners also do the same, uh, and if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye, for sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again, but love ye ye your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping. For nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. What do you think about that? For he is kind unto the un, to the unthankful and to the evil. Okay, so he's basically saying, you know, be kind even to the evil and the unthankful. Um, and the people who are focused on... The people who are focused on getting something back from somebody because they gave them a gift um, are not actually doing a good thing. In reality, they are they are sinning because they expect exchange where initially they did not make the offer of exchange, but they expect something back, uh, you know, in, in a false hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's basically saying, you know, turn the other cheek. We, we literally read that line, I think. And, um, even if somebody hurts you, you don't have to hurt them. Um, uh, if you are nice to the, those who, even those who hurt you and you do not, you do not hate them, then the kingdom of heaven, uh, can be attained by you. So there, you don't need to curse anybody. You don't need to have retribution. You don't need to speak evilly of pe- evilly of people. What you should do instead is follow compassion and not worry about um not worry about getting things back from others whom have been blessed by your action or your your own wealth. Does that make sense? Yeah, you don't have any expectations. Yeah, don't have any expectations, but also just like give to people. <laughs> it's it the and treat those treat those not only what he's getting at is not only as you would want to be treated, but treat them better. Right with have empathy like have empathy like okay this person they might be yelling at me they might be being cruel to me because they just don't understand they're ignorant and that's more a problem with them and not to me not for me that's not a problem in me um i'm starting to think that the verses we have we have in the bhagavad gita that i marked may not compare very well with what we read because i i i didn't read completely through what we just read before we did. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to make some comparisons here. So let's go ahead and go to the Bhagavad Gita as it is by uh, 
uh, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. And uh, we're going to go to page 303, Knowledge of the Absolute. Now, what I'm going to do here, we have the Sanskrit. I'm not going to read the Sanskrit. Then we have the uh, English word version where it's, there's an English word after every Sanskrit word. What I'm going to go to is directly to the the saying that's in English, the paragraph without any Sanskrit in it, and also the purport of what it means. So on page 303 here, and this is chapter 7, Knowledge of the Absolute. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, Now hear, O son of Pratha, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. So basically saying, follow through correctly following spiritual paths, um, there's plenty to choose from, but spiritual paths, uh, you can... You can basically you can know me without without any doubt. So uh, with mind attached to me, but the mind has to be attached to God. In this in this we see we have Godhead, which is uh, Vishnu and Krishna. Uh, Krishna is avatar Vishnu. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the basic. And then um, let's go to the purport in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. The nature of Krishna consciousness is fully described. Krishna is full in all. Appulences and how he manifests such appulences is described herein. Also, four kinds of fortunate people who become attached to Krishna and four kinds of unfortunate people who never take to Krishna are described in this chapter. Um, and we kind of saw that in the Bible, like, um, you know, what we just read in the Bible, actually. Um, people who are fortunate are ones that value that which is beyond and not what we not what is of material and that's what the uh, the unfortunate kind of are and the fortunate also some variation in them but the fortunate are ones who follow their spiritual path and follow it out of materialism does that make any sense yes sir okay let's see what we got here i think this first part so truth all right so Here's what we got. Let me go to the right spot. This is a long sentence. At the end of the sixth chapter, it has been clearly stated that the steady concentration of the mind upon Krishna, or in other words, Krishna consciousness, is the highest form of all yoga. Okay, so this is talking about bhakti yoga, which is devotion yoga. And, uh, of course, this is by uh, Bhakti Vedanta Swami. Um, so, highest form of yoga by... Concentrating one's mind upon Krishna, one is able to know the absolute truth completely, but not otherwise. Impersonal Brahma Jyotir, or localized para, Paramatma, realization is not perfect knowledge of the absolute truth because it is partial. Okay, so we're we're kind of entering like he's he's like saying like he's saying similar to what Jesus said like focus on focus on um, my Father and you shall attain him instead of focusing on. Um, that which people cling to. But what were you going to say? What were you saying about the last... Aunt? You just read something. Um, um, so, concentrating one's mind upon Krishna, one is able to know the absolute truth completely, but not otherwise. Imper uh, do you have anything based on that? No, something okay. about per perfection cannot be... Okay, impersonal Brahma Jyotir, or localized um, Paramatma, realization is not perfect knowledge of the absolute truth because it is partial. Um, so what is partial? Partial is like 
I think what it's referring to, um, it's referring to to isolating different parts of creation, as it were, and just understanding that instead of understanding the greater whole. So, like, if you understand the greater whole of, you only understand the greater whole of creation by focusing on God, and then by, by then you don't value it anymore. So if you just try to understand a part of God and not the grander whole, then you cannot achieve God. Does that make sense? Okay, so what would be like an example? Example. Of this, okay, know, if you a part of God, like you mean like being having an idol. Um. It. It could. Well, I don't think it's referring to like a demigod here, mm. but it, it could be. Um. And you know, I. I of course. Um. I of course worship God mainly through, through the Divine Mother Kalima, but I have many gods and spirits that I work with, so what I do would be considered partial knowledge, be partial practice, even though I don't agree with that, but it would be considered by people who follow this that um, I'm only looking at a part of God. Like, I'm only looking at the Divine Mother Kalima, which is the, the feminine and the warrior and the healer and the liberator part of God that is the, the feminine in all those respects, but that's only a part of God according to this, to this text. Um, also like certain parts of truth, certain parts of scripture, certain ideas, uh, in, in Christianity, it'd be, it'd be like focusing on just, it'd be focused on just Luke by itself and not looking at a greater context. Does that make sense? So like you're focusing on a section that everything is a part of God, but you're focusing on a section that is not the infinite in and of itself where it's saying Krishna and Krishna consciousness is the infinite. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I was wondering, so does everything, if everything's part of God, is it part of God or is it just a aspect of like a vibration of God? Both. Right. Because he, I'm, I'm assuming that he thought like he had, even though he doesn't exist in a physical form. Who? God. I mean, we think he does. What? That think like he does not, he's not isolated in one body, but everything's a part of him. So he exists. Like, God just is. I mean, before creation, before man. Before man, before creation, he existed. Yeah, he, ex he existed, but not in a physical form. Mm, I guess you could say that. Yeah, maybe not in a, in a material form that we would recognize. Right. Like, a, a, like a, something made of matter. So if we go by, like, the universe started at some point, that, that's still considered... That's still considered God, right? Yeah. Or is it just the idea of God creating, like the? Well, see, like God creating and what what God creates and what God is, ultimately in this doctrine is is not. Um, they're they're basically the same. But like for instance, um, Brahma in Hinduism is the creator aspect of God, but Brahma is not worshipped because creation is all about material. That's a very basic idea of it. Please forgive me making it too basic. But, um, uh, but yeah, so like Brahma is not worshipped. Uh, Vishnu and Shiv are worshipped. So Vishnu is usually thought of as a preserving aspect of God. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Shiv is, a lot of people think he's a destroying aspect, but he's not destroying in the sense of just destroying everything. He only destroys illusion. And he breaks down one's illusions and encourages liberation to join with the ultimate Godhead. So right, right now we're still in creation. We're separate from God to a certain to, se to certain degrees, to varying degrees. But the ultimate goal is to completely merge with God and get rid of get out of delusion. Does that make sense? Any illusion? 
All right, so let's move on to... Uh, I got a couple more things marked in this uh, Bhagavad Gita as it is. So, I'm sorry, just to go back one, yeah, sure. one step is... The, the point is to become enlightened... So that, uh, well, in Hinduism, we usually think of moksha, which is liberation, which okay. is same same understanding. To become bright, liberated, liberated, right? Of course, you're you would have to put some thought into what what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you do become liberated, so what so what do you see? Do you still see a part of God, or do you see like, um, what is it? I'm trying to say, it's. Do you see God the, differently when the, you become the, the Maya, the illusion? Mm-hmm. Is it a part of God or is that something else? It is, but it's you could say it's the smallest part of yeah. So it, like the smallest part of God infringing upon this is just my understanding, um, but the smallest part of God infringing on bigger parts of God. So like if if we think of Maya, let's just say Maya is. I think that a satanic force does exist, something like Satan does exist, but I wouldn't necessarily call it Satan. Maya is the closest to Satan that I think of, um, and Maya is more of a force. But let's think of Maya as like a conscious force. It's the smallest part of God trying to infringe upon the bigger parts of God, but yet it still has the ability to do so. This is so. It's why it's, why it's hard to understand because, for instance, like Satan's a part of. Let's just say Satan's a part of God. Um, he still has, for some reason, Godhead still allows allows him to influence man, right? Right. And in Hinduism, Maya exists to Maya exists to give us a choice, but also to allow us to uncover the nature of God and work towards uncovering. So God is like the father in the sense, the father or mother, in the sense that the father and mother or mother doesn't want you to doesn't want to do everything for you. It's it's better for you, and it's more of an experience for you as a person. You ex- really experience it if you work towards it yourself, and it's not done for you. So that's why Maya exists. That's I would even venture to say that's why Satan exists. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And it seems to me like, I don't know, the moral of the story is the the Maya is to, to eliminate the Maya, the illusion, uh, and, and, but I still think that Satan is the morning star, which is an aspect, which is basically the... Well, like, when you think, when you're talking about the morning star, you're talking about, like, it, I think the Lucifer aspect, which the Lucifer aspect is that he is the bearer of light, but he is... Just, so, basically, Satan became, you know, say, Satan came... He was Lucifer, then became Satan, according to most Christians. Okay. Um, but, like, as Lucifer, he was the bearer of light that illuminated things. But why, why? And I think that he still is, and I think that, though, Satan and Lucifer might be two different beings. I think, I think that Lucifer still exists. He, he illuminates things, but he is not that which is illuminated. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to figure out, the misconception, is because I think a lot of... Everyone out there has, like, this preconceived notion, who, who is Satan? Uh, is he an aspect? Is he God? He's a part of God. He is God. He's. What, it's. It's like. Are you saying that God controls him ultimately, or? I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. It's just like, well, if God, if you so see, we're, we're trying to compare two different traditions that neither one of us are completely. No, because both traditions, <laughs> both traditions have like different, multiple different like godheads, like mm. right. So you have Hinduism has. Different well, different aspects of God. Well, it depends on what kind of Hindu you are, because a lot of Hindus believe that there is one Godhead or one source, or everything's part of the same whole. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's Hinduism's complicated. That's why it's so hard to say every Hindu believes one thing, 
But well, in this, we're kind of referring to Hare Krishna and people who just like follow the Gita as their like number one scripture. I actually tend to like the Puranas and the uh, Upanishads. But at any rate, um, yeah. So it's it's hard to it's hard to figure out. Yeah, it's like almost like I rather probably just give everybody a specific. Uh, you know, like have all, all the characters like in line in order. Like, okay, can't really role play here. It's kind of like, you know, like Satan we're not was, we're not doing good at role playing right now. Because <laughs> I think we're both we're both taking up. You know, you're you've always been more Christian. Um, I've always admired. I've always had great admiration for Jesus and following Jesus. But I consider myself Hindu. Mm-hmm. So, but neither one of us are like hardliners. I do. I think some of the the storyline is inter intertwined. Yeah. So like we're not like hardliners where we like completely, like we we believe only this and then we hate each other that if we believe something. Well, I, do you agree that do you feel like you understand Hinduism more when you look at Christianity? I love comparative religion. Um, and honestly, you know what? Yeah, I think I think so. Like I feel like when you when you work with different ideas. Um, and you try to, you try to see the truth in everything and you compare two two different versions of reality. I think that you see both more clearly. Does that make sense? Cause I feel like you see, like if you have something to compare it to, then you, and then you see what's similar, you get a better picture of really what both are trying to say, if that makes any sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we continue, which we don't have a lot left, but let me go ahead and get a word from our sponsor. All right, everyone, we are back, and uh, we're going to go to page 318 of the Bhagavad Gita as it is. So um, we're going to go to text 14. This divine energy of mine, consisting of the three modes of material nature, is difficult to overcome, but those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So when we're talking about three modes of material nature, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about Tamaguna, Rajaguna, and Sattvaguna, and... Tamaguna is darkness. You can think of it as like pure Maya, darkness, lethargy, delusion, fear, hatred. Um, Rajaguna is between Tamaguna and Satvaguna, and it's kind of like desire. It's kind of like the need to produce things externally and to and to uh, work in material existence, trying to achieve things, but also um, trying to help. The, those which you find, kind of fall under your sway, uh, those that you're related to. It's kind of like um, just being an average businessman. That's how I think of Rajaguna. Restless, trying to achieve something, but not necessarily evil. Um, now, uh, Sattvaguna is purity. It's detachment. It's compassion, understanding. It is the boat that you cross the ocean to God over and but you do leave Sattvaguna even behind once you get to the other shore and become somebody like a great yogi or like a enlightened yogi or a saint then you have left even that guna behind and you re- reach a higher level of, of consciousness and you know there's mul- there's other levels before you you completely merge with god but that's how we cross the material sea is with uh, Sattvaguna it's a good boat Tamaguna is an anchor you don't want an anchor <laughs> Rajaguna is is um is maybe some floaties <laughs> that you try to cross the sea with, um, but uh, but yeah, does that make sense? 
No, I didn't. I mean, f- boy, uh, I was trying to follow you on the Roger Guna mm-hmm. and comparison. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've dealt with quite a bit. Um, well, and the funny thing is, um, I think that's what the three modes he's referring to, but I didn't read the rest of this. But I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so we got the words. He's not directly talking about those Gunas, but regardless of if he is or isn't, um, we can go ahead and read kind of like into that. That's a good. That's a good basis for I think what we're what this purport goes into a little bit. The supreme personality of Godhead has innumerable energies, and all these energies are divine. Although the living entities are part of his energies and therefore divine due to contact with. Uh, due to contact with material energy, their original superior power is covered. Being thus covered by material energy, one could not possibly overcome its influence. As previously stated, both the material and spiritual natures, being em- emanations from the Supreme Personality of Godhead, are eternal. The living ent- en- entities belong to the eternal superior nature of the Lord, but due to contamination by the inferior nature, matter their illusion is also eternal. The condition, the conditioned soul, is therefore called uh, nitya badha, or eternal, eternally conditioned. No one can trace out of history, out of out the history of his becoming conditioned at a certain date in material history. Consequently, to consequently, his release from the clutches of material nature is very difficult, even though that. Material nature is an, an inferior energy because material nature is ultimately conducted by the supreme will, which the living entity cannot overcome. Inferior material nature is defined herein as divine nature due to its divine connection and movement by the divine will. Being conducted by the divine will, material nature, although inferior, acts as acts so wonderfully in the construction and destruction of the cosmic manifestation. All right, so yeah, that, that talks a lot about how illusion condition like if you're conditioned if you consistently make materialistic choices you're kind of conditioning yourself to be materialistic and if you don't work out of that then you can be that way basically forever you'd be stuck there but nobody is because everybody is is kind of is kind of poked and prodded towards the right way by by figuring out what really causes pain what causes what causes fear and hatred um, and we, we use life in order to learn these things, how to be non-materialistic and every soul cannot help but learn. So technically you can always be under illusions, like you can always be an illusion. There's no event that'll happen that'll take you out of it, but every soul slowly learns over time. So it's virtually impossible. It's, it's impossible for somebody to be completely in a state where they never reach liberation. Um, it's difficult to understand, I know, and, uh, material nature is also a part of God, which is what it's talking about. Um, but another thing that it's getting at, which makes this very Hare Krishna oriented, is that, you know, you can't get out of conditioned nature by yourself. You have to rely upon God's help. If you don't, then you cannot do it yourself. God has to play a role in helping you out of illusion and delusion. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that's... I mean, I always think of it in the sense of, like, geometry. Uh, uh-huh. When I hear some of the uh, verses. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have to you, you have to have God, right? Um, to help you. To help you, yeah. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. So, and how's that going to improve your life? 
And so you just, you would see like the nature of God. You would try to find it in your relationship with your friends and family. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I get from the passage. It, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that could be one way of understanding it. It's not my place to say what you get out of it. Um, but yeah, uh, so let's, let's go to the last part we have here and wrapping up. I was real quick question. Yeah. Um, so does God dwell, does God dwell in us? Is like our body a temple? Yes. In both religions, right? It's not common. Yes, and actually almost every spiritual tradition or religion, the body is a temple that you can welcome God into or you can shut God out of. Mm -hmm. So like you can never really shut God out completely, but you can make it not very hospitable for God's energy to to reside in you, which basically you're choosing to shut God out and you're, you're able to make that choice, but it's not a, we soon learn it's not a wise choice to make and we're eventually taught that it's not the wise choice to make. Um, so let's see this last bit here. Once again, thank you, St. Expedite, for helping us understand these things. This, uh, I greatly appreciate your aid, and I hope that everybody looks up St. Expedite, um, and learns more about him. And, uh, that's how you spell it is S-A-I-N-T space E-X-P-E-D-I-T-E. And, uh, you'll find information on St. Expedite and why he's so quick with helping people and uh basically who he is um he was a uh he was a martyr and a roman centurion during diocletian's purges he refused to convert to or he refused to offer to the gods and thus thus was decapitated but anyway that's just a little information on saying expedite anyway let's go ahead and move forward we're going to go to page 572 and um we're going to go straight to the translation. The mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, O son of Kunti. And because of this, the embodied living entity is bound to material fruitive, uh, fruitive actions. So let's read that one more time. The mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, O son of Kunti. And because of this, the embodied living entity is bound to material fruitive actions. Um, so desires, it's saying is, are unlimited. Like you, one desire lead to another. If you keep on embracing desire, you'll have this endless line of desires and longings. It never ends. And the satisfaction of them only creates the greater intensity of them to be more satisfied, which we can see in Christianity as well. Um, you know, one sin leads to other sins and... The road to <laughs> the road to hell is paved by good intentions. Um, status. I, I do think it's a bottomless pit. It's a real like I can see it sometimes. Like, uh, while I'm at the, I'm really at the edge, and a few more steps, I'm gonna fall in. But you never really fall in. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how, how that that must exist like, in other like dimensions of thought, like yeah, spiritual beings. They must have saw that kind of like bottomless pit, but at some point you either really back away from it or you just like you don't care. Yeah. Um and that's like even people that worship demons talk about a bottomless pit. Yeah. Uh like I think it is God, I can't remember it. Abaddon is uh demonic king, demonic lord of the bottomless pit. Uh they think of it in a positive way that a road to ultimate power. Mm-hmm. Um I think that 
there though there's some power in it i think that so many sacrifices of everything else that we are that there make might, power irrelevant yeah there might be some power but something that you a continuous fall mm-hmm. uh, yeah i can see that just completely dedicating oneself to power instead of each other or one's true self that's definitely a way to go and it's not it's not a good way but that's one option that we have all right, so I'm going to read a little bit from the purport here. Once again, on page 573 of the Bhagavad Gita as it is by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Um, say that 10 times fast. All right, purport. The mode of passion is characterized by the attraction between man and woman. Woman has attraction for man and man has attraction for woman. This is called the mode of passion. And when the mode of passion is increased, one develops a hankering for material enjoyment he wants to enjoy sense gratification. For sense gratification, a man in the mode of passion wants t- some honor in society or in the nation, and he wants to have a happy family with nice children, wife, and house. There are the products of the mode. These are the products of the mode of passion. As long as one is hankering after these things, he has to work very hard. Therefore, uh, it is clearly stated that. I hear that he becomes associated with the fruits of the of his activities and thus becomes bound by such activities. So in Hinduism, there's this big idea that you act for the sake of the action, do what is right, but do not focus on the fruit of the action. If you care about the fruit of the action, then you will be kind of really stuck in Raja Guna, restlessness. Uh, in order to please his wife, children, and society and to keep things up, uh, keep up his prestige, prestige one has to work therefore the whole material world is more or less in the mode of passion or rajaguna especially earth 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 is a place of rajaguna and uh, other planets and other galaxies contend more tamo or sattva guna um, modern civilization is considered to be advanced uh, in the standard of the mode of passion formerly the advanced condition was conditioned to be in the mode of goodness if there is no liberation for these in the mode of goodness um if there is no liberation for those in the mode of goodness, what to speak of those who are entangled in the mode of passion? So what what it means by the mode of goodness is basically talking about um, you're just kind of, you're just completely dedicated to doing good stuff, but you don't get the bigger picture and you don't focus on liberation from this world in which you act you know do good things. <laughs> in essence, does that make sense? Yeah. So going back, what did we what were you saying about desire, right? Um, and then also something about like the fruit, the fruit of the fruits of your actions, the fruits of your actions, right? So is, is that kind of like, if if I think I want to know finance, I go get a book, and you and then your your goal is to learn enough about finance to where you make you can start making a bunch of money, right? Right. But if I'm worried worried about the fruits of the action, I I, I just get the book and I don't even really read it. I like well, just no, 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 no. pictures. Well, no, no. Here's the thing. Um, the reason you get the book is because you're like I want to make money, right? And then you read it in order to make money. But if you were to get the book just for the sake of learning, that would be not in the mode of... Well, actually, gaining knowledge is another. So, basically, what it's saying is to act in... The, you have to act in this world without reflecting upon um, what you'll gain from it. Like, let's say you do a good thing for somebody. You have to do that without thinking of, oh, I'm getting good karma. Or, oh, uh, the God's going to be happy with me. You do something good because for the sake that it is good, not not. But, but no, it's a requirement. Huh? It's a requirement. A requirement for what? What do you mean? The act of doing something good. Uh huh. Isn't it? Is it not? What do you mean? 
I don't do something good. You no, you will be you will be rewarded. But if you focus on like, okay, if I do this, I'm gonna be rewarded. Then that destroys the virtue of your action. Right. Right. I know what you mean. So you don't do something thinking like I'm gonna get a reward from it. Yeah. Right. So like, for instance, if you want to like get get so like thinking that you're gonna get a bunch of money by learning from this book, that is focusing on the fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, which. If you if you're open if you're getting a stock trading book, it's probably not a good example for this because like there's no there's no inherent goodness in studying stocks. No, I just want uh, to try what you meant about the fruits of the action. Yeah, um, yeah, um, for the fruits of the action is you you gaining something. Right. So like in, in karma yoga, kama yoga, um, it's all about just doing good because it's the right thing to do, not doing it because you'll get something out of it. Which the Bible talks about as well in what we read, like, um, you know, don't do don't do good just to get into heaven. Do good because, um, because it's it's the right thing to do. I think I, I think it's kind of like in 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 universal, right? It's like the law, like the universal law. You treat somebody how you want to be treated, right? Yeah, and then you do things like you help people without thought about the reward, or maybe you don't. Yeah, you don't. You take the reward and then you give it back even right again. Yeah, you give- that that's true. Like so, like you you help people not and not focusing on getting. Reward. But I always thought it's like a requirement. And what do you mean? What's a requirement? To do these things without without regard, like it's yes, yes, no, no. To be a good person, you do what's good be- for the sake of it being good, right? Not because or because it's the right thing to do, not because you'll get something out of it, right? Which is actually really simple, but really hard to do. But I, but I think what, what we're getting to is that that most people they do something. The only reason why they do it is for the reward. Is because yes. they know they're going to get a reward. Yes. Okay. And that's a problem. That's, see. see, that's that, that's the bad thing about it. So like, yeah. So we're we're basically on the same page. It's very simple, but honestly, it's hard to do a lot of the time because whether you're Hindu or Christian. A lot of Christians are like, oh man, I'm doing God's work. I'm getting into the kingdom of heaven. And then a lot of Hindus would be like, oh man, I'm getting all this great karma. Um, it's going to come back and be good for me. So getting rid of that, even that thought, is, is really hard for a lot of people. More so than we realize. Here, here's, the, here's the crazy thing that I, maybe you can give me your perspective. Is that with all the knowledge and power that we have, there shouldn't be like one you know, empty bottle in the ocean, right? There shouldn't be, like... How, how, how come we're so isolated, though? You're saying, like, we should... We have enough to provide for everybody, so why don't we? And then also... Right, we, there's shit, like, with the way... The wealth... Um, I mean, everything that we have in society, if you look as as it, like, just... You know, from a, from an overview, right? You're looking, like, from away. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, with everything, all the resources we have... There shouldn't be, like, anyone on the street. There shouldn't be mm-hmm. any problems. But we create these systems are really, like, kind of like uh, with the coronavirus, right? It's mm. it's really, like, organizations that are public, uh, privately funded, like uh, the H- WHO, World Health Organization. Uh-huh. But who invents those things? And how come it's... Good, good people. <laughs> but, I mean, um, we can provide for everybody, but the problem is we're... Most people are greedy to some degree. Right. Well, so so every- gre- greed is why there is a homeless population or people going hungry. Okay. There's no, there's, we, we, there's no excuse at this point. But I'm saying. And, and the crazy thing is like, even if we, if we didn't feed, if we didn't force breed cattle, 
we'd have enough we'd have more than enough food for the entire world because we're we're so focused on eating meat though that mm-hmm. anyway i gotcha no that's true yeah i should eat less yeah we don't we don't we don't need as much as you, you really don't yeah you don't need as much as what what we tend to to believe and it's like while well, you drive down the street and there's fast food and, and you know <laughs> and then going back to the you know even the christian mindset like if we if we didn't do any of the sins mm-hmm. then nobody would be wanting like if you if you weren't greedy if we weren't if we didn't do if we weren't gre- now i'm not saying that i'm without sin by any means but i am i am theorizing that if we didn't if we didn't you know if we weren't gluttonous if we weren't greedy if we weren't envious, um, if we didn't steal from other people, even indirectly, then everybody would have as much as they need. And if we didn't kill each other as well, so That's murder. A, yeah. So like, so like, even going back to the Ten Commandments, if everybody just if everybody followed them, even if they didn't follow Christianity, then the entire world would be heaven on earth. You wouldn't. You it would be wonderful. Um, that's a that's a future that we'll have to invi- You know, we'll have to work towards in the. In the coming uh, centuries and coming thousands of years that we're here, man. You know what's real interesting that yeah. I wanted to share with you? What's that? Is that, you know how I was a driver, right? Wait, hold on. Is it topic related? I mean, yeah, how, much, how much of it you want to share, though? Yeah, uh, no, anyway, it's okay. topic related, of course. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, like with my encounters, I had over 3,000 trips. Yeah. And so the individuals that I met, you can almost lay it out to like a, a, a chest, like a chess piece. Yeah, chess pieces uh, yeah. on board. You, and, you know, there was like multiple kings couple queens, bishops, knights, some pawns. I mean, there was a lot, of course, you know, there's on the board, there's more pawns than any other piece, right? Yeah. Which, what are, in chess, what, what is the pawns? They, they, they're they a buffer between <laughs> the, right. like, the yeah. more important people okay. getting hurt. <laughs> right. yeah. And they can be used strategically. Yeah. Um, you don't actually have to lose any pawns if you, anyway. Yeah. If you're really good, sure, yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so this all ties in together. It's like, uh, to tie this, this whole conversation that last few paragraphs together is that um so as a society how can we let things go so far like we know things we have problems we we know like there's situations but nothing gets done like at all it takes willpower it takes really strong and compassionate willpower so you need compassion well like the three c's compassion courage and compassion courage and constancy so you have to have the compassion to help people you have to have the courage to really go out on a limb and do something like start a, a a charity, and then you have to have the constancy to keep keep it running, keep it up, or you don't even have to start a charity. Just go and just like give people food or like give homeless people like purified water and maybe some maybe some blankets or something. But compa- have the compassion for it and uh, have the courage to just go out there and expose yourself to people maybe not now during the coronavirus don't i don't want to <laughs> i don't want anybody getting the coronavirus cuz i gave this recommendation but i mean just just and then you have to have the constancy to keep on doing it so the three c's are very important and they these are the three values that i constantly think about compassion courage and constancy okay and just one question on the topic of compassion yeah do you think with what we know now if we could go back would there be a way you could create an organization that would have stopped the illegal trade, animal trade in China? For sure. How, okay. Are you talking about time travel? I mean, like, for I'm, sure, I'm bro. I'm just saying, if you, if you had, <laughs> let's say just there, hypothetically, we go back in time with the knowledge that we have now. Uh-huh. What would you have done to stop to, to abolish that kind of treatment towards animals? Oh, are you talking about what started the coronavirus? 
Well, we we theory. That's our theory. Like, yeah, we don't really know. Now, I mean, but. we might know, but it's you need to give enough time so this these data samples are collected and available. People can think about it, right? Yeah. But let's just say hypothetically, we what with what we know now, if we can go back, how could we have changed it? If that is the cause of our problems, like to in in this moment in time, right? People. Well, are, you you approach the individuals, which you know, I hate the idea. I hate the fact that. Asian Americans are being attacked and and just because maybe maybe one guy in China ate a bat <laughs> that that had some kind of strain that developed into a disease we shouldn't hate entire people because but, yeah it's not their fault and, it's regulatory yeah it's and so like so like to stop that one guy I mean like if you want to stop that one guy it's kind of a I don't know if it's a moot point or not because to stop that guy you just go up to that guy and go hey don't eat that. <laughs> or but but here's the thing no but china actually did put a law forward and now it's 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 in action you can't eat any wild animals so if you just would have got them to do that a little bit sooner you could have avoided i don't this. think it would have been possible it wouldn't have been like i mean like right. i i doubt that that guy based on what the chinese government does to people that break the law assuming that this guy's not out in the boonies mm-hmm. the boondocks um yeah he wouldn't have done that and so yeah, I mean that's that's what could have been done, and we this is why we have to be more conscious of what we're doing as human beings. Like it feels like we're so in charge of this planet, but then like we then we're hit with something like this. Where we're like, oh damn, that we, we there are things that can hurt us, and we just have to learn to not be reckless. And I think human we've not just other people, but myself, we've become reckless, and we have to check ourselves because there's no there's nothing else but the forces of viruses and diseases and each other to check us. So we just have to be more conscious of what we're doing. Um, just in general, not even just what we're eating, but that too, of course. But we just got to be more conscious, man. That's what it comes down to. We got to be more careful. We have to be nicer to the planet. We have to, we have to be the shepherds that guide the flocks upon this planet and protect the planet, protect this Garden of Eden, instead of being the butcher or the forester that destroys it. And that's what it comes down to every all the time. Right, yeah. And it's not just China. There's a lot of countries. Yeah. You know, the United States, we do a lot of, like, we do a lot of crazy things. Very, very unresourceful. Uh, um, resourceful. Unresourceful. We yeah. do a lot of things that are unresourceful. Yes. I mean, and we don't, and we have all this social media for us to do things to kind of, like, kind of break the... Um, uh, to not have like such dense traffic population, right? Things like that, yeah. right? We can coordinate and do things, but it's, it's all it's uh, it's all about having that compassionate will. So willpower and compassion can do a lot. I think I it starts love your neighbor. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. All right, hey, that's a really good note to end on. Thank you very much, Rambo, for joining me today. All right, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Nice speaking with you all, and sure. uh, hope we get some good comments. Oh, for sure, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, if you want to. If you have anything to say to me, if you have any comments you want to send you, you can message me. Oh, you can friend me as well, but you can message me at www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. Once again, www.facebook.com slash hunter.salazar. You can message me. You can friend me. We can work together to make this world a better place if you so wish. And uh, if you like this video or you like this podcast and you want to support the work that I do, feel free to go to my Patreon page and become a patron for only a dollar a month. And you get extra content and you get to find my podcast and videos in one place at www.patreon.com slash darkrealist.
capital D, capital R. Just a dollar a month, you become a patron and uh, support the work that uh, I and uh, we do here. So thank you very much, and I hope to see all of you on the channel in the future.